Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 2, Episode 4. Glad to have you back with us. If this is your first time here, this is part of a series on what leaders actually do. Now, in my work, not only as a leader, but as an equipper of other leaders, I tend to hammer on the idea that leadership is mostly about character and who we are. But there's no arguing that leaders have to do things, or they're just sitting around looking pompous. Character alone doesn't make things happen. It can help, of course. But it's not meaningful by itself. You need to add some useful activity to the mix. I have a friend, let's call him Rob, since that's his name. He's an entrepreneur and a small business owner. He has a remarkable ability to assess people's fit and figure out if they'll be a benefit or a hindrance to a team. Now, since his success demands healthy teams, this is a big deal. And he recognizes that not everyone is a fit for the team or for his organization. With him, the process is almost an art. Now, he's not perfect, no one is, but his ability to select team members and build a team is pretty soundly amazing. All right, this time around, we're going to talk about leading by tending to your teams. And we're going to talk about this in three parts. Building the team, weeding and planting, and tending the flock. Let's talk first about building the team. You may not have the opportunity to build a team from scratch, but there are always things you should think about. Sometimes you'll find yourself in the position of having to rebuild a team, and that can happen because of market and industry changes, personnel changes, budget cuts, or just good old-fashioned team stagnation. You know, the research suggests that a productive team has only about 18 months of full productivity before it will start misbehaving. And as a leader, you have to plan for that. What does it mean for a group to misbehave? Well, obviously, it depends on the group. But it could be that they lose their ability to innovate and they move into just sustaining mode. This is troublesome because they look productive, but things within the broader organization have moved on. Some teams will go into full meltdown mode and refuse to work together. Some will start eating their own young, if you know what I mean, and others will protect their turf so much that they're unable to work with others. That can turn into some really unhealthy in-group, out-group dynamics. So, as a leader, it could be that rebuilding is needed to fix a problem, but it could also be for the cause of preventive maintenance. You need to be ready to build and rebuild teams with little notice. See, like any other strategic initiative, you need to consider what a team needs to accomplish before you mess around with it. You'll want to think about things like people's values, their strengths, their temperament, uh, their ability to lead or collaborate with others. Now, we'll talk more about this when we discuss setting a direction a couple of episodes down the line. But for now, think about the people. Every team needs an innovator, a strategizer, a couple of ambitious followers, and a workhorse. Now, admittedly, that's just my opinion, but I've seen this play out over, well, <laughs> a whole lot of years now. 
Incidentally, studies have shown that if you're looking for a decision-making team, they work best with five people. But task-oriented teams can be larger depending on the size and the significance of the task. See, one piece that often gets overlooked, teams need someone who can talk to the outside world to report on progress and seek further direction. Without that, teams can become isolated and run the wrong direction for a long time before anyone even notices. Either way, you need to create a team that understands its purpose, with team members who work well together and know how to lead themselves. This doesn't mean that the team you assemble will work well from the beginning. There is a phase of team development called storming that really involves fighting it out, establishing a hierarchy and a pecking order, and figuring out how they're going to be productive. Now, as a leader, you need to be confident enough to let that happen and smart enough to know if it ever happens to become destructive. A good book on group development will help you. It's not my job to replace good resources, but steer you toward them. The next piece that leaders need to handle is what I call weeding and planting, and that is what it sounds like. You know, the most hateful part of gardening is the need to keep the weeds down so the good plants can thrive. Every so often, we'll find weeds on our team. Now, I don't say this to be unkind, but uh, the effective leader needs to recognize when someone is being destructive to others. This can be things like taking credit for the work of someone else, being constantly negative and critical of everything, uh, by holding ethical standards that are in conflict with the group or the organization, or sometime, if you will pardon my phraseology, just by being a butthead. See, it's our job as leaders to consider the professional and personal well-being of the teams we lead. There's an old proverb that one bad apple can spoil the whole barrel. Now, you need to remove the bad apple to save the rest of the barrel. This is one of the things that matters to leader success. Are you willing to get the weeds out of the garden or the bad apples out of the barrel? Or do you put up with them because you dislike conflict? How long do you think your indispensable teammates will hang around when there's someone poisoning the environment? And really, whose fault is that? Well, yours, as the leader. One of my favorite leadership philosophers puts it this way, you deserve what you put up with. Okay, this leadership philosopher happens to be my wife, but she's pretty much brilliant. I love that. You deserve what you put up with. Of course, there's more to making a team work than just weeding out the bad stuff. If you're leading a growing enterprise, you also need to be able to bring people in and help them thrive. Your hiring practices should reflect what's important to your organization, and I always recommend a slow, deliberative process. Now, this is similar to the process for building a team, but this time you need to consider the fit of the person that you want to bring in and how well they can thrive in your setting. What will it take to get them up to speed. Now, let me give you an example that I think might be helpful. In the healthcare world, nurses come out of their nursing training with all of the technical skills necessary for their work. They know things like how to take a medical history, to give injections, to draw blood, and so on. But when a nurse enters the profession, they are almost always paired with someone called a preceptor. Now, it's not the preceptor's job to train on the technical skills, but he or she will focus on helping them learn the processes, the organizational culture, and the right ways of being a nurse in that setting. 
Now, this is no small potatoes. There's a big difference in expectations for nurses in small rural hospitals versus large urban centers. The preceptor helps the new nurse answer the question, what have I gotten myself into? Now, I'm kidding, but I'm kidding truthfully. See, now, I've always thought that this was an overlooked role in leadership and management. When people start jobs in organizations, their orientation frequently consists of letting them know where the bathrooms are and where the cafeteria is. So, in my opinion, that's a stupid approach. When we find ourselves in that spot, we need someone who can help us navigate through our uncertainties and give us a clear sense of what our job actually entails. Most organizations, most leaders do a dog food job of getting employees up to speed and helping them to thrive. Break that chain. If you're a leader, figure out who you can entrust new employees to. Someone who will welcome them and help them to learn the culture and expectations of the organization. So years ago, we had an old cedar tree in our yard. Here's the thing about cedar trees. I love them, but they're not very friendly. An agronomist could probably give you more details, but cedar trees seem to poison the ground around them. You can't plant most shrubs or ground cover under a cedar tree because the acidity in the soil will kill them. Now, you probably work with a couple of cedar trees. They might do fine work, but you can't put anyone else in their care because the newbie will not come out unscathed. See, when you're bringing in new people, know your cedar trees. And don't make them preceptors. Be intentional about finding good preceptors. Now, I'm not in the healthcare world, but I've been told that the quality of that first preceptor will shape the quality of the rest of your career as a nurse. So as leaders, let's adopt that preceptor practice. Let's get this right and make a change in the way we approach leadership. Okay, next up is tending the flock. And yeah, I'm mixing metaphors here. I moved from gardening to shepherding with no warning. So my apologies, sort of. I love a good mixed metaphor. And it's not because I'm not the sharpest crayon in the basket of eggs. So, with no further ado, let me talk for a few minutes about your responsibility to tend your flock. For a surprising number of leaders, this one is particularly difficult and frankly even a bit distasteful. The main reason is that this requires us to know every member of our team as a person and not as a job title. Now, when I say that, uh, you need to understand that I'm an introvert, and that bit of advice is challenging to me, but I've had to learn to overcome it without trying to become an extrovert. It might be appealing to lead from the side or from the way back row, but you can't. You have to have skin in the game. In other words, people need to know that you are invested in what's happening, and they have to see you enough that they're willing to invest their confidence in you. If you don't really know the names of the people on your team, well, as they used to say, shame on you. People need to know you know them. They can't be invisible to you. You need to know what drives them. You need to know why they have chosen to work at this particular organization. You need to know their greatest joys and their greatest frustrations. You need to know who they are most connected to in the workplace. If you don't know those things, how are you going to lead that team? Leadership is not some amorphous thing that simply tells people to what to do. Mercy, it can be way more than that. 
You know, I think team building is challenging because it's some of the most hands-on work that leaders do. People don't self-organize into productive teams without solid personal leadership. Some of the best people that I've put on teams were people that I had to convince and assure them that they have something to share, they have something to offer. If I hadn't been there, they may never have stepped up. Their contributions may never have happened. Now that's not patting me on the back. That's recognizing that leadership has personal value to others. You need to know your team members enough to read them, encourage them, challenge them, and motivate them. You have to know when they're having a bad day, a bad week, a bad year, and help them navigate through it. One of the uncomfortable truths of leadership is uh, drawn from Henry Ford, who said, Why is it that I always get a whole person when all I need is a pair of hands? It's true. You get the whole person with their strengths, their weaknesses, their confidence, their insecurities. Leadership is all about getting the best out of people who may not even know what that is. I can tell there's one snarky person thinking, yeah, unless your team works remotely. Well, snarky person, even in that setting, people bring their whole personalities with them. I've led a lot of virtual teams, and I've seen the same dynamics play out across continents and across oceans. And yes, you still need to take time to get to know them. You need to be able to tend your people well, know what they worry about, know what they care about, and know how to motivate them. As I've said elsewhere, motivation is always personal. You don't care about your team members without interacting with them, and you can't lead them if you don't care about them. So, some of you, again, thankfully not the snarky one again, some of you may be asking, but what about CEOs? They can't possibly know everyone. Well, the same principle applies. Let me share a story about a CEO that I once worked with. Now, this gentleman was an almost obsessive introvert. I'm not going to mention his name because I hold him in really high regard, and I don't want you to speculate or think less of him. He was shy almost to the point of awkwardness in social settings, but he surrounded himself with what I call his deputies. These were all VP-level leaders that he interacted with regularly. And as a leader, he invested very heavily in those VPs. Now, in a way, they served as his hands and feet to the organization. He modeled good leadership to them, and they modeled good leadership to the rest of the organization. Uh, in this organization, I was not a VP, but I had earned the CEO's trust and his confidence, so I had a chance to see how he invested in those around him. He was a good role model for those who asked me, I'm an introvert, can I still be a leader? Well, obviously, yes. So what can you do right now? Go talk to the people you serve with and ask them one at a time. This isn't a group activity. Ask them one at a time, how's your week going? It's a first step. Really getting to know them, learning to develop, lead, and care for your team well. That's one of the key activities that leaders need to master. And it's not easy. Well, it's good to have you with us this time around. And next time around, we'll be looking at how you can set high performance expectations without burning people out. As always, keep encouraging your friends and colleagues to subscribe. Give us a like, leave a comment, 
We want to keep serving you well. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. Limited opportunities are available for supporting sponsorships. Contact information is available on our show page. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.